In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and communities. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. My name is Akashika Mohula and you're listening to the Diaspora Podcast. As you know, the Diaspora Podcast is dedicated to engaging leaders and enabling impact. Today, our guest, Professor Rani OAM, the Queensland great of 2021, joins us for an up-and-close yarn like never before. The legendary humanitarian Eurogynecologist championing women's health is an inspiring Australian story of a Queenslander who was once born in India and raised by an Indian surgeon, a Portuguese mother, and today continues to serve the Australian society. Dr. Rani's story is amazing. Although in this episode we move beyond his story, we talk of things that make him the successful male urogynecologist. The tales of bravery, joy, inspiration and the lasting legacy that is yet to come. Frankly speaking, this is one of the best conversations I have ever had and feel personally so inspired. So before we go any further, let's take a listen to Professor Rane OAM from the Townsville Hospital, the Queensland Great. Welcome to the Diaspora and in the spirit of Spinning Yarns podcast and congratulations to you on your very deserving accolade as our Queensland Great. So tell me, are you coming straight from the Operation Theatre or a lunch or a drive? What have you been up to? No, I've uh, just come back from the operating theatre. There is no lockdown for operating uh, rooms. So uh, yes, it is business as usual. But thank you so much for your kind wishes. I'm very humbled by this award and very humbled by the attention I'm getting uh, from people like you since I've got the award. It's such a delight, Dr. Rani. So we are talking about your day to day. Take us through a regular day in your life before and after work and including work please i don't think there's uh, such thing as a regular day for me but it starts at 5 a.m um, and involves yoga and uh, gym and then at 6 30 it is either operating room or uh, seeing patients usually finishes about 6 6 30 uh, following which uh, every day or every other day we have whatsapp based live surgical tuitions uh, in the developing world either Asia or Pacific or wow. Africa and yeah usually in bed by 8 30. That's a typical lifestyle of a true yogi. <laughs> 
So what was it growing up for you, Dr. Rane, as a son of a surgeon with so much charity that your parents did in India through their noble hands? And what values from the charity hospital that your parents ran have nurtured the seeds in you to envisage to bring to Australia, given we have so much changing in the Medicare also these days? That's very true. I think I could probably start by saying that uh, probably the hero uh, in the this whole picture was obviously my father, who was an amazing surgeon, but really the the main uh, person who made him successful was in fact my mother. And I think uh, all credit really goes to her because without her help, I don't think he would have achieved what he achieved. And uh, being white, living in a very good lifestyle in the UK and suddenly being transported to a village in India with no electricity, no toilets, would have been an amazing thing for a person to dedicate 30 years of their life. And also, in fact, she died there. So she gave her life for those people. And uh, um, (laughs) in my opinion, she was the bravest of us all, uh, looking after my father's hospital, making sure it was always clean and all these poor people were fed. Uh, and running a um, a hospital on a very low budget because 60% of the hospital was free, 40% was paid, and they did it for 30 years. So no pressure on us in a way. That's absolutely amazing, Dr. Rani. So what values do you think you can perhaps bring back? Yes, I think, uh, you know, it's a totally different scenario uh, when you look at the Australian medical situation. I think the Australian, uh, having had the uh, opportunity to work in India in public hospitals with virtually no money around, and then working in socialized national health service in the UK, and then coming to Australia, I think Australia is an extremely lucky country, without any doubt at all. Unfortunately, though, there is a fiscal element to Australian medicine. And sometimes uh, that fiscal element overtakes uh, some of the professional elements of Medicare. And I think, um, although it might be a minority of, of uh, doctors who do that, it does put a, paint a very bad picture uh, about the fiscal nature of the, uh, that part of Australian medicine. Um, I, I believe uh, quite strongly that we all uh, mean to do well without any doubt at all. We do our best for our patients without any doubt at all. But sometimes it can be just that tad expensive due to the fiscal element attached to it. Definitely, Dr. Rane. And let's also talk about, you know, the scenarios when you have your very favorite patients coming to you discussing the details they get from Dr. Google versus doctor in front of them. So let's talk about those. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, sometimes you think it could be annoying. And a lot of people say that, you know, uh, it's taken us 16, 18 years to become a specialist, which is true. There's a lot of effort that has gone into becoming a specialist. Uh, Yet, uh, in my opinion, a patient never comes to a doctor because uh, she, uh, I only deal with women, uh, has nothing better to do in life. So uh, I think one has to remain compassionate one has to remain patient. And um, our style of uh, medicine 
uh, involves a very simple formula uh, and that it goes like this. Uh, she speaks, I speak, she speaks again, we decide. It's a very simple uh, formula that one could adopt. Let the patient speak, then you can give your opinion, then let the patient speak again and then make a combined decision on what is best for her. Now, yes. it may not be that you, we would meet in the middle. It may be possible that we may actually uh, choose to differ from each other. But in the end, it's still a combined decision where you are empowering the patient to make the decision and then supporting whatever decision they make. So she speaks, I speak, she speaks again, we decide is the way forward. Um, and doesn't matter whether then they bring up Dr. Google or not, because you're having a dialogue, <laughs> you are trying to understand what is really going on um, and, uh, and really take it from there. There is another uh, scenario which uh, uh, I would like to put to you. Sometimes it, people find it a little bit offensive, but I don't understand why. So you have many, many patients who um, come to you. We do the she speaks, I speak. She speaks again. We decide. And then she says, but what do you think, doctor, is best for me? When that question is asked, mm -hmm. I will always say, I would put this question to myself as the mother test. What would you do to your mother? And yeah. if you put that question to yourself, you will always get the right answer. Mother-in-law may be a different situation. <laughs> but, but definitely, uh, if you say, what would I do to my mother? Or what would I tell my mother? Invariably, you'll get the correct answer. They call it the mother test. And so we are always guided by these small things that make a huge difference to the patient's understanding of the system, and the, the empathy and the compassion then shows through. Brilliantly spoken, Dr. Rani. So just out of curiosity, you know, how was the word patient derived to be a patient? <laughs> I think uh, you're absolutely right. You know, um, I think 50% of the job in medicine is not what you can do with your hands. 50, more than 50% of the job is what you can do with your words, and your body language and your care. So you have to be patient with the patient. Uh, and uh, I think that sometimes is lacking because there's a pressure of seeing as many patients as possible because there is a, a either there is a need uh, to see all these patients, B, there is a need to maybe fiscally uh, make more money. Um, it doesn't matter. I think when you're doing a consultation, <laughs> or when you're doing a surgery, that one patient is that most important person in your life at that time. You have to give them 100% at that time. Definitely, definitely. So talking about Dr. Women, uh, the gender parity, etc. how was it for you being the successful male gynecologist, obstetrician versus a woman gynecologist uh, in this field? True. It's a, uh, it's, that's a very interesting question. And um, really, if you look at the science behind it, which is uh, mostly derived from developed countries like UK, 
USA, Canada, um, Australia, you'll find that there is actually no issue with the gender of a gynecologist per se. Uh, some might even say that women, uh, in some studies it is shown that women marginally uh, prefer male gynecologists over female gynecologists. But then there are obviously religious beliefs, there are cultural beliefs, um, and yes, um, I have faced them all uh, as a male gynecologist. And what I really learned, uh, especially in the Middle East, for example, uh, was the women, uh, because it's haram to see another, another woman, an, um, another person's wife, uh, <laughs> but when they are suffering, when they are suffering from horrendous pelvic floor trauma, fistulas, gender-based violence with genital trauma, they don't really care what your gender is. They, yeah. in fact, they, they in fact tell the men to butt out. And, wow. Uh, it is very interesting, yes. And years on end, I have worked in the Middle East and mm -hmm. that's the way it works. But I think you have to show your empathy, your compassion, your passion to look after them. And then your gender doesn't matter. And I think learning a few words in Arabic, a few words in Swahili, just trying to tell them that I feel your pain. I feel mm. your suffering. And yeah. I will do my very best to look after you. It breaks down all religious and cultural barriers. And, you know, I have never, occasionally I was threatened, you know, through ignorance. And yet once they see what we are about, um, it all disappears. So I think that it's really up to the individual to understand that, if you show enough compassion uh, and passion in your work, then your gender actually does not matter. This is really interesting, Dr. Rani, how a caregiver to the nurturers of the world was threatened for life. So what was that about? Share with us what was that life-threatening scenario for you? What did you have to face in adversity to protect yourself? I don't think there's much you can do to protect yourself, but um, so we deal with a lot of um, victims of what's called female genital mutilation. And mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, uh, um, it is now being identified as an Islamic thing, which it isn't. It's a cultural thing. It's not an Islamic thing. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, I won't mention which country, but it was somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, and we had some very seriously injured young ladies who were brought in for reconstruction um, mm -hmm. and the people, uh, some ignorant people obviously got hold of the information. Uh, they barged into the operating room with a gun. Um, My God. And uh, we had to just step back and uh, hide into the other room of the operating theater. Um, and they took the patient away uh, from the operating table. Uh, and um, that's it. You know, we, we were just left shell-shocked. Um, and uh, after they left, asked for security to come in. And then they stayed there till we finished all our other operations. But for uh, about half an hour, I definitely felt my world coming to an end. And all I could see was my family, uh, my son, my daughter, my wife. Uh, and it was uh, pretty uh, scary at the time. That's really, really uh, enduring. And what happened to the patient? Did you? I, 
I understand that that patient was actually killed. Uh, and that's what happens usually, unfortunately, because mm-hmm. there is a huge amount of male dominance and ignorance. And uh, through that comes a lot of violence against women, which right. is very, very sad. Yes, definitely. So this is this is such a strange women's world we are in. And seriously, uh, it breaks my heart whenever I hear stories as such. Forging on, there are other vital women issues as well, Dr. Rani. You know, we not not just women issues. I think these are family issues, you know, women, infertility, growing choices of single parenting that many women are considering, which people perhaps perceive those as modern choices. It's a taboo or whatever you can say. Um, but behind all those choices, there's a lot of trauma these people go through. Couples go through when they can't have a child. Women go through who consistently suffer miscarriages due to mm. unknown scenarios like endometriosis, fibroids, or other serious issues. Um, and, and having friends and family who have dealt with this disappointment, many say that there is not enough diligent diagnosis here. And they are turning to countries towards Asia, perhaps India, Vietnam, etc., for certain solutions where they feel there is more diligence, there's a little bit more extra room to do things, and it's not fiscal, as you say. It's, it's not fiscally uh, that important. So tell me, how do you think these solutions, this, dilig- this diligence at affordable prices with advanced technology in Australia, power us all for progress. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, 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 a, it's a hard question. However, I can tell you that uh, there are some amazing doctors uh, in Australia, without any doubt. Um, I think without any doubt, also, we have all the modern technologies available. To, I think one of the things that diligence comes through, in my opinion, is proper mentorship. You really need a mentor. You, you have to be lucky to have a good mentor because especially in private practice in Australia, it's a very lonely place. You're really on your own. And sometimes you start believing in your own uh, beliefs uh, with not a lot of checks and balances. Uh, and then sometimes the desire to upskill becomes a bit less and then, you know, you're offering the same thing, which is disadvantages to the patient because they're not really, um, they're not really accessing really the most modern uh, uh, updates and skills. For example, uh, in my own life, I um, poached a colonel from the Indian Army, Associate Professor Jay Ayer. And wow. he came in as my fellow 11 years ago. And now he's the director of our uh, advanced gynecological endoscopic surgery unit in, in little Townsville. But, you know, he's probably 10 times better than me as far as endometriosis surgery is concerned. And so when the, the student gets better than the master, that is really success of the master, not the student. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have to really understand that the role the, the really critical role of mentorship. You want to really mentor people, not for just succession planning, but also improving your skills, 
improving uh, the services you can provide to women. And so we provide a very comprehensive uh, endometriosis service through Dr. Ayer, but when it comes to pelvic reconstruction, he can't beat me yet. And I don't think he ever will. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we, we end up uh, providing a very comprehensive service. And I think that mentorship role is very important where you want to just put your head on someone's shoulder and they say, are you okay? How are mm-hmm. you going? Uh, this is very important in medical profession because the medical profession has a very high rate of suicide in Australia. It also has a very high rate of alcoholism and drug addiction. So this is probably what the public doesn't know, that these people lead very stressful lives or make lives very stressful for themselves and end up with no mentors trying to help them. And so I think the answer to your question, really complicated question that it is, um, is about mentorship and is about social responsibility. At the end of the day, how much is enough? And, um, um, you know, for us, uh, my family gives 30% of its income every year to run uh, uh, an orphanage and a couple of hospitals, charity hospitals. Um, wow. And still, and still we are extremely well off. How so, lovely. You know, I think that is the important part is how much is enough. And once you have that satisfaction, the rest of it is immaterial, really. So that, I hope, answered your question to some degree. It absolutely did, Dr. Rani, and it's, it's enormous. It's, it's very rare to speak to such a noble person like you with so much humility, truly a Queensland great. So share with us, who is your mentor? Oh, I've been very, very lucky in life. Uh, I, my first mentor was my boss when I first started doing OBGYN uh, in India. His name was Dr. Lala Thela. Uh, right. he, he remains my mentor. He's in his late 80s. He's a gorgeous man. He taught me most of the stuff I know about life, not just mm. my specialty about life, but my, my current God, mentor, whatever you want to call him, is mm-hmm. Professor Dennis McWege, who is a, a gynecologist, uh, pelvic reconstructive surgeon in Congo. He was the wow. Nobel Peace Prize winner for 2018-2019. Dennis is one of the most incredible persons I've met in my life. Uh, since 1986, he has treated 56,000 girls and women as from victims of rape, genital trauma, uh, ranging from nine months to 90 years of life. He has my goodness. Been, they've tried to assassinate him six times, the rebels. His best friend, Joseph took a bullet for him the fifth time they tried to assassinate him. Um, and I can't spend enough time with him. I just, I just want to sit by his feet and just listen to him and help him out the best I can. Uh, hmm. Unfortunately, COVID stopping that. But once that settles down, I, I intend to spend at least three months of my a year uh, with Dennis. Um, and so I can give him a break from the amazing work he does uh, now. Yeah, I am so blessed to have him as a mentor. It is incredible. I'm so lucky. Uh, And this man won the Nobel Peace Prize against Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. So that will tell how powerful this man is. He's an amazing man. Yes, indeed. That says it all. Absolutely, Dr. Rani. And it's amazing to see legends, building new legends, and 
you know, this, this whole story, beautiful story of you, your mentors, the people you're mentoring, it's just amazing. So share with us, how do you, you know, we have lots of students who are perhaps listening to this podcast as we speak in Australia, India, globally, perhaps contemplating advancing in which speciality, perhaps grow up to be like you, or some are even in high school. So how do they get to be the classy, successful gynecologists like you? What are the pros and cons? And also, um, you know, the duty bit where they will have to miss those lunches, those sleeps, the high level of stress (laughs) that you're talking about, all of those things. Please share with us. Uh, Let me start by saying, how do you define success? And um, there are different ways of people defining success. Um, Some believe success is the size of your car, the size of your house. Uh, I unfortunately uh, did not ascribe to that definition of success. Um, I think the important part is to have passion. And once you have passion, with it comes compassion. So uh, without any doubt at all, in my personal life, um, I didn't really start giving and enjoying giving till this was taught to me by my wife, who is Irish, by the way. And uh, she, she taught me how to give. Uh, and her motto was give till it hurts. And when you give till it hurts, actually what you get back is even sweeter. Um, and so really credit should be given to her for what I am or what I've done in my uh, sphere and my career. I also felt initially that being UK, being India trained and UK trained um, and sort of into inverted commas, highly skilled. Uh, I used to initially go as the savior of women. And, uh, you know, I had this high moral ground. And very quickly, I realized that, in fact, I am getting more out of it than my patient. And so immediately, I realized the way forward was to teach and train, teach the man to fish, not give him fish. So the initial arrogance of going as an overseas specialist trying to save the world was very quickly quashed uh, by the reality of the situation. Uh, For me now, I will be very honest, it's actually an honor and a pleasure and my good fortune that I can serve these poor women who have been devastated by genital mutilation, by rape, by terrible childbirth trauma. Um, It is my good fortune and my honor uh, to look after them. And so I'm really grateful that I can look after, not the other way around. So I think gratitude is a very important thing. Passion is a very important thing. So if you have those to put in together, um, I think there is no reason why you can't be as successful as you want to be. So passion and gratitude are the two buzzwords that you have to constantly remember. Don't say, what about me? Say, what can I do for you? And you will be taken care of without any question at all. So gratitude and passion. I hope that answers your question. It absolutely does, Dr. Rani. It's, it's, it's really amazing to speak to you today. 
talking further about our Australia and the need to have more people like you, of course, Dr. Rani is exclusive. He's a Queensland great, but we do need more people in STEM. And this, many believe, can only start when we teach them young, when we start skilling them up very early, perhaps in schools, in high school, or and how do you think we can get more women in STEM, given you're so passionate about women? I do personally also do feel that there is a lack of women in STEM in Australia. Uh, it's a very good uh, point. I think, um, look, I think gender-based uh, disparity is a universal phenomenon. It also happens in Australia. Uh, as it happens around the world, just the severity may be different, but it's a universal phenomenon. So I think I would like to start by trying to give you my understanding of the value of women, about women who are the most incredible human beings. They are definitely superior to men. There is no question about that. Genetically speaking, medically speaking, we have, we have conceptual um, truth on that. Uh, if you start by a very simple scenario where in an underdeveloped world, if a mother dies in childbirth, 50% of her children will die within one year under the age of five. If the man dies, nothing happens. That shows you what amazing value a woman has in nurturing life. Woman has this incredible ability to multitask to actually give till she till her last breath for the survival of her children. Uh, and we don't seem to value that. Somehow we're more focused on the first female CEO. And I just go, even a stupid man can do that. I think <laughs> we need to value the woman for what she is as well. That is very important. Unfortunately, only 9% of men take responsibility for contraception, which means 91% of women have to take responsibility for contraception. How is that fair? Absolutely. And so gender-based uh, disparity, um, let's take Australia for a second. Until 2018, Australia was charging luxury tax on pads and tampons. You could ask any woman on this planet if having a menstruation is a luxury. I am sure they'll tell you to take a running jump. So somehow we haven't really learned to value women. Um, also on a slightly humorous but realistic note, why is it that you women have such long queues outside public conveniences while men don't? <laughs> and the science behind it is very simple. Society de deemed that women should have closeted toileting and therefore poor women have to queue up. And if this disparity has to be corrected, you need three times the size of female public conveniences to the male conveniences in public places. Why is it that there is no movement to address that? Why is it that I am jumping up and down all the while or maybe sometimes I even block the male toilets and ask the women to come in. I did that in, in Venice Airport. It is, it is unfortunate that our women have to sit there and suffer full bladders, full bowels, because we decided that they can't have 
three times the size of public conveniences. So this is, for me, a very serious gender-based disparity, not the first frontline soldier carrying an AK-47. I think even a stupid man can do that. So my point is, we don't value women enough. Once we start learning to value women enough, we will empower them. So I think first is giving them respect, valuing them. And once you value them, with that comes empowerment. So that empowerment will happen automatically once we value them and respect them for what they are. So for any high school, college students, male or female, I would say the first important thing we need to absolutely accept is that women are these amazing human beings who are capable of giving birth, who are capable of breastfeeding, who are capable of multitasking, who are capable of nurturing life. And let's value them for what they are first and then what they can be, i.e. a woman pilot or a, a CEO. Or So I think it should start with that respect and that Uh, acceptance of their superiority so that they can be empowered. That's brilliant, Dr. Rane. On a closing note, looking back at your journey, if you have had the opportunity to relive this entirely beautiful life experience, would anything be different? Um, No, um, I don't think I would want anything different. Uh, However, uh, I am human. Um, I remain very human. I have made mistakes. Uh, I have regretted some of my mistakes. I've corrected some of my mistakes, uh, but I've had the best journey absolutely anybody could ask for. And so from my point of view, all I'm saying is uh, without drama, that if, if this journey were to end, I would still be a very, very satisfied person for the opportunities I've been given, for the accolades I've been given, for the love I've been given by my community and the opportunities to serve uh, women who have devastating genital uh, pathologies and to see a smile on their face, um, I think uh, is one of the best rewards in life. So absolutely no regrets, No, don't want to change anything in life. Happy to go whenever the message comes through. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor Rani. Thanks very much and namaste.